Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Schall. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, Sean Woodley, the host of the Locked On Raptors podcast, to take you through everything OG Ananobi. Will he actually get traded? Just how good is he? And what would the package need to be for the New York Knicks? That next. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Starks without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Tuck left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's Anthony for three. You are Locked On Knicks, and your team every day, and we are there for fans through all of what being a fan is. I want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today, and every other day, if you want to ensure that you can do that, uh, subscribe on YouTube, hit that notification bell so you never ever miss an episode there, and be sure to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice, but who's shilling for subs? I'm Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster, and today... As noted, we uh, welcome on my good friend, Sean Woodley, um, to talk about a topic that is near and dear to many of your hearts, near and dear to my heart. That is OG Ananobi. And I think I appreciated him as a player before this podcast, but Sean really convinced me that he's the guy that the New York Knicks maybe should go all in on. And that also the price could be prohibitive, but potentially worth it. Want to find out for yourself? Tune in right now. All right, guys, as promised, we are joined by Sean Woodley, the host of the Locked On Raptors podcast, our longtime rivals. Uh, we get our comment sections flooded with love from Toronto every single time we bring him on. Sean, how's it going, man? It's good, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I uh, can't wait. Uh, of course, we we're going to talk OG Ananobi, but I want to start from a little wider perspective, partially because I think it's good to set the stage, partially because I'm just genuinely curious, Toronto, um, it's kind of been in a limbo state for a while now coming off the trade deadline or, or rather coming into the trade deadline. There was a notion like, all right, either they're going to chip off a bunch of their guys or they're going to go all in, make a couple of big moves. Instead, they kind of go in between just get Jakob Pertl, um, miss out on the playoffs. Now Fred Van Vliet's gone. Pertl's back for $20 million a year. What's the general direction that this team is going post Nick Nurse? Beats me, man. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's confusing here too. I, I don't think... I necessarily blame them for what they did at the deadline, frankly, because if you look at the reported offers out there for Fred Van Vliet, who felt like the most likely guy to get traded as the big pending UFA, uh, who they maybe didn't want to keep around long term. Turns out, I think they did, but it ended up working out. But like them not trading Fred Van Vliet for Grayson Allen and a protected future first from the Bucks, or for Luke Kennard and Brandon Boston Jr. from the Clippers, I don't think that is like a bad thing to not do. I, I think they looked at their track record of, hey, we've been able to keep our own free agents pretty regularly throughout the years. Kyle Lowry signed three different contracts with the team. DeMar DeRozan, uh, you know, all sorts of guys. Fred Van Vliet, two different times himself as a UFA, kept with the Raptors too. And, and so I think they made a pretty reasonable bet based on their history that they'd be able to keep Fred Van Vliet along with Jakob Pertl and Gary Trent Jr., who were all sort of deemed to be pending UFAs. Gary Trent Jr. opted in, uh, made things a little bit cleaner for them. But still, they set themselves up with a really difficult offseason to pull off. 
and we're at the risk of one team with a lot of cap space coming in and throwing a godfather offer at one of Jakob Pertl or Fred Van Vliet. Turns out it was the Rockets with Van Vliet, and they had nothing to counter with. They could not, in good conscience, match and give him $43 million a year because Fred Van Vliet, for all he, he does well, and he does a lot well, he's not a $43 million a year player, and it would have set them up set them up with some really bad money issues going forward. And so I, I think now... It is very much an open question as to what's next. Their plan to run it back, which wasn't like a perfect plan, but I think was a totally reasonable plan considering 21-year-old Scotty Barnes is on the roster. And if he takes a jump, then everything starts to look a little bit better. Uh, but that it gets a lot harder now to run it back because if you look around the Raptors roster, there are notably like no guards. There's Dennis Schroeder, and then there's kind of nothing else. And when it comes to guard play... I don't know if you're familiar with a hundred years of basketball being played, but guards are important. Having pick and roll operation is valuable and they don't have that on the roster right now. And so they got to find a way to pull a rabbit out of a hat this summer, I think, and try to find some kind of guard play to add to the roster. Otherwise, I think their plan is to go into the year with this very misshapen roster, which I don't think is going to go especially well. So if they don't make moves, then I think it is time to start asking like real questions about like what is the direction here? Because right now, it's pretty hard to decipher. Obviously, trades can happen. We'll talk about OG today. Pascal Siakam's name has been out there probably more than OG, actually significantly more than OG of late. Um, so there's all sorts of ways this still could go in the summer. But as it stands right now, I'm as confused as anybody over what they want this basketball team to look like come October. You know, Sean, I've, I've watched Alfred Payton start uh, four games in a playoff series. So I'm, I'm aware. I'm aware that guard play matters. Um, but but let's let, let's go here next. Um, if I'll have you reverse engineer it. If OG Ananobi is traded, what would have happened to precede that? Is it just a really rough start to the year? Is it them getting a fantastic offer for Pascal Siakam and saying, all right, we, we might as well just blow it up at this point because we're not going to pay OG, even, even though he's only 25 years old, uh, whatever he costs for the next four or five seasons. What, what is it going to take? I think it's going to take a lot for OG to be moved, frankly. I think if they had their druthers, like Scotty and OG is kind of their core they'd keep going forward. Because OG fits beautifully. He fits awesome with Jakob Pertl, who they just signed. You mentioned for four years, $80 million. He He fits really well with Scotty Barnes. He shoots threes. He's one of the best defensive wing players in all of basketball. There's a reason the Raptors have been resistant to just trading him, because he's the kind of player who you trade and then spend the next 20 years being like, man, I wish we had a player like that on our team. It's like, it's hard to find a guy like OG. And I think if they had it their way, he would be on the team long term. And, and, you know, Masai Ujiri himself has once said, like, if I could build the whole team out of OGs, I would. Uh, he's his guy. A and I think this is going to be a very telling and interesting year. I, I think he's going into what is going to be a contract year. He's definitely opting out next year. And I, you know, I know there's like, oh no, can you pay OG Ananobi $35 million a year? Can you pay him Jeremy Grant money? And frankly, I think you can. Like the cap is going John, up. Can I interrupt you for one second? It becomes yeah. so much easier when you phrase it as Jeremy Grant money. It's like, oh yeah, if I could yeah. give Jeremy Grant money, that's not they, bad. Yeah, go ahead. Absolutely, right? And it's like the cap is going to go up. It's going to go up 10% every year for, I don't know, perpetuity. Like, it's not always going to keep on going up, but I feel like any deal signed this summer or next is going to age pretty well, all things considered. And so I'm not all that concerned about giving OG the money. He's, his defense and the way he affects winning is so unbelievably noticeable. Even if he doesn't have, like, a next step in him, as it were, as, like, an on-ball creator type, he's still the type of player who every single serious basketball team should want on their roster because of all the stuff he does. 
because, you know, there's been stuff about him wanting a, an upgraded role on all of that. I'm sure he'll get a chance to flex his muscles this season on a team that has no shooting except for him and like two other guys. He's going to get his chances. And, and I do think if they had it their way, he'd be on the team long term. The thing that would cause him to maybe be sort of the next guy moved is if they extend Pascal Siakam this summer and decide we don't want to go into this season worrying about OG potentially as a flight risk. It's going to be very expensive to keep OG, Pascal, and Scotty all long term. Maybe they even have designs on trading Pascal once he's under a new contract down the line anyway, but still, it's a lot more complicated. I think if Siakam extends and they go into the season and things start poorly, then I think you're probably looking at something maybe around the deadline where you try to ship OG off just to not have the same Fred Van Bleet-like situation of this summer where it just takes one team to blow you out of the water. Um, but yeah, I, I do think at this point, it feels like OG is a little further down the trade speculation list than Siakam is. And I also like to, the idea of if Siakam gets traded, I don't think that means OG is getting traded. The Raptors do not tank. This is not a thing Masai Ujiri does. He doesn't believe in it really. And I do think if Siakam gets traded, that just means OG is going to have more of a role and he's even less likely to get moved beyond there. So yeah, it, it's tough to see a pathway to a deal coming through, but there are always ways and there's always a price, obviously. All right, guys, we are going to continue talking with Sean about what makes OG Ananobi worth a big price for the New York Knicks. But first, it's officially summer and a new season means new clothes. But your closet is, shouldn't be the only thing growing when you make these purchases. Now you can also watch your cash back grow with each buy with Ibotta. Ibotta gives you cash back and hundreds of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods. So you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. Either link your loyalty account or upload your receipt after you shop and get your cash back. It's that easy. The average Ibotta user saves $120 a year. That can cover the cost of an entire shopping trip. Or you could use your cash back to buy that flight you've been eyeing, that game you've been dying to go to, that Knicks game you've been dying to go to, let's be honest, or the fancy dinner you've been craving. Other apps give you points that... Just don't amount to much at the end of the day. But with Ibotta, you get real cash back that you can cash out to your bank account, PayPal, or gift cards. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying Ibotta by using the code LOCKED. When you register, just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app and use code LOCKED. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store and use code LOCKED. Right, and I, I think the Knicks, uh, as as has been reported um, by Sportsnet's Michael Grange, like, they are particularly interested in OG Ananobi. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is pretty obvious throughout the regular season. They were a team that was really fantastic when Jalen Brunson was the only bad defender on the floor mm -hmm. and would score a million points when, when you paired him with RJ Barrett, but also gave up a million points when you paired him with RJ Barrett. And those numbers shifted a bit in the playoffs and it felt like they maybe even needed offense more than defense. But the beauty of OG Ananobi is, is, is like a Quinn Grimes, like an Emmanuel quickly. You got to guard him from three on one end. And uh, he's the, Hell of a defender on the other end, even a different tier than those two. But I am mm -hmm. curious because I, I think I think part of the Knicks thinking, if they were gonna give the price that Masai Ujiri wants, which which we can we can discuss um a little further on in this episode, uh, some people have deemed like kind of crazy around the NBA. I think if the Knicks were gonna sell that price and they were gonna say, like, hey, this is kind of our all-in move when in the past. They've thought of it more for a guy like the caliber of a Joel Embiid or even in a tier between those two guys, someone like a Paul George 
Um, is there more on the bone for him as an offensive player? And you look at OG and the perception, and, and Sean, you could correct me if I'm wrong on this, but maybe it's only outside of Toronto and not people who watch him every game, but you hear every year like, all right, there's another step for this guy. Like he's going to become an all-star and it just never quite seems to happen for him, right? And he is exceptionally good at what he does, right? A fantastic three-point shooter. As we said before, one of the best defensive players in basketball, but he's never quite made that leap to being a 20 plus point per game score. The overall efficiency has dropped off slightly the last two years. Last season, his three point shooting was slightly back up. His two point percentage, a little bit down from where it was in seasons three and four. But again, he's never really put together that all-star type of push. Is that in there with him having a little bit more volume if Pascal were to be traded or is he just not really that type of guy? And as you noted, like he might be worth 35 million just for who he is already. Yeah. Like I feel like, I always feel like a bit of a hater when I talk about OG because I just like I, I I'm kind of over talking about is the leap coming like I don't think it is he he doesn't handle the ball terribly well he's not a great playmaker he's a fine passer he can make connective passes but he's not like creating great looks for others off of his drives he's a little bit off balance when he drives and all this stuff and, and I just frankly think it's a misuse of everything he does well to be like all right you go create and run a bunch of pick and rolls because he's an outstanding off the ball scorer he is an incredible cutter the number of times that after Jakob Pertl arrived and him and, and OG hooked up for lobs as OG was cutting baseline it just happened to have like three times a game because OG knows where to be off the ball he knows when to cut he knows when to time his cuts and all this stuff he's an outstanding catch and shoot three-point shooter he can make uh you know a second side action happen for you he can attack a closeout make something happen out of it but he's not creating from a standstill more often than not he's not the guy who's going to make something from nothing and I think that's perfectly fine like it's the player he is right now helps really good teams win basketball games full stop end of story and probably does so a lot more than a lot of players who do put up buckets but don't do a lot of the stuff that OG does on the side and so I've just like accepted that OG is not going to be some kind of star offensive creator, but that doesn't mean he's not kind of a star at what he does. He might be the single best three and D wing in the NBA. He might be the best player of his archetype in basketball. To me, that's a pretty great success story development wise. And any team that, you know, especially a team like the Knicks where you have a couple of ball dominant guys in Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson, I, I, I don't think the optimized version of OG sees him with the ball in his hands a ton. He's a play finisher, really, and he's a super efficient play finisher when he's playing with good players. The problem is I feel like all of the the noise about OG wanting a bigger role. I know Jake Fisher from Bleacher sorry, from Yahoo's been big on reporting this. Like he wants a little bit more of a role in the offense. And I think it's gonna be there for him with the Raptors this year just by necessity. But like if he gets traded to the Knicks, he's not gonna have that expanded role. And so will he even be happy with that? Um, you know, it's a it's an interesting thing to try to figure out. I also have the, the hunch that if OG were on a team that was winning a whole bunch of games and he were, you know, kind of shining as one of the best role players in all of basketball, things would be just fine. He's still gonna get his money and all of that. Um, but yeah, it's a bit of a tough one because I know there's lots of folks out there who are like, oh geez, got the next step it's gonna happen i'm like just let og be og og's incredible the way he is he doesn't have to become this on ball force of a creator because most players just aren't that and he does stuff away from the ball that's just so bloody important and the defense again i cannot 
stress how good OG Ananobi is at playing defense and how he frankly is one of like five players in the world who can credibly guard one through five. That gets thrown around a lot. Oh, one through five defender. No, no, no. OG actually is. You know who was like the best guy guarding Nikola Jokic at any point last season? It was OG Ananobi. And there is like a reason that a lot of teams want to trade for him and a reason the Raptors have a pretty high price tag that they're going to require for him because he does stuff that winning basketball teams badly need. It's something we've talked about on the podcast, but the Knicks were somewhat fortuitous in their in their playoff run, and it would have changed if they got one more round. They did not run into a big wing who could mm. really give them problems. And you look at this current Knicks roster, if there's one flaw in it, it's that they don't have that super lengthy defender. And, and, and of course, Jimmy Butler could have been that guy, maybe was a little bit hampered by injury. Quentin Grimes is excellent, but at six foot five, just doesn't quite have the length to really bother those guys the way you would want. And, and I think having OG mixed in with the Grimes, mixed in with the heart, could elevate the Knicks defense to another level with, to your point, not taking away anything offensively. I, I wonder how you feel he would do. And like, maybe it's just on such thin margins, like it's not even worth asking, but like, like how is he affected by Toronto's um, like infrastructure around him? Because I know last year, like the critique of Toronto was like, it was a little bit of a clogged toilet offense at times. And in New York, we are uh, infinite, infinitely familiar with that concept <laughs> under Tom Thibodeau, where there just has not been enough shooting on the floor for years and years and years running. And it feels like Jalen Brunson as just a creator would um, pass apologies to Pascal Siakam, maybe be like the best guy he's played with um, post Kawhi Leonard mm. offensively, but he also wouldn't have the passing of someone like Jakob Pertl, um with the Mitchell Robinson. So how do you think he would look like outside of Toronto? I guess like, would it just be a lot of the same? Yeah, I mean, I think he plays well. He fits with any team, right? Like, he, yeah. he's a guy who's going to stand on the wing or in the corner, catch and shoot for you, and defend like a maniac on the other end. And the other stuff that goes in between, yeah, it's dependent on the sort of structure of the team that he's playing with. I, I'm sure the the added space that the Knicks have on the floor would be beneficial to him, right? Like, there's just more room for everybody to operate at that point. It's easier for everybody. You know, that said, you know, I, I think he has kind of, we saw down the stretch, really, when Jakob Pertl arrived, we saw what OG can do within a functional offense. And the Raptors don't really have that anymore because Fred Van Vliet's gone, but like they ran a pretty regular pick and roll offense down the stretch and OG was able to really eat off of that again whether it was cutting when they would improvise elbow stuff with Jakob you know working from the elbows and passing from there Scotty Barnes doesn't doing that as well whether it was just regular drive and kick and he's the guy receiving the kick and all of that like I think it, you would see a pretty similar structure of how he'd fit it fit in with the Knicks just probably with just a little bit more space Interesting, the lack of passing from Mitchell Robinson and how that would kind of play in, but um, I, I do think it would be, you know, a perfectly fine fit. And, and you know, I'm sure he, he always picks his little pockets. He'll have windows of games where he'll go and try to, you know, pull up from mid-range and kind of do his creation thing once in a while. I'm sure he'd get those chances as well in the Knicks with some bench lineups. But, uh, yeah, I think it would be a pretty similar setup to what we've seen. And we've seen him in Toronto, even with, like, a less-than-perfect offensive ecosystem, be one of the better play-finishing, sort of, you know, efficient role player types in the league over the last little while and the years where his efficiency dipped it's when he was asked to do a little bit more and kind of get it over his skis a little bit offensively speaking is there a part of his game just on the margins you're still looking for him to make a jump like let's just say like right he never becomes that alpha 20 plus points per game guy but if this clicks for him he could just be like 10 percent better 
Frankly, it's just like the aggression when it comes to putting threes up. And we saw it a little bit down the stretch. His volume upticked a little bit after they got Jakob Pertl. Um, and it, like he's going to be on the Raptors this year. I'd be pretty surprised if he's not. He's going to have a chance to take like eight, nine threes a game. They lost Fred Van Vliet, who took nine threes a game. And I don't know where they're replacing those right now. It can't all be rookie Grady Dick. Like there's just no way. And so I would love to see OG really ratchet up just like the degree to which he has no conscience. I think he likes to take good threes because he's a smart basketball player and all that. But sometimes you just need that volume. And I think just a little more aggression with the trigger would be probably like the thing that would take OG up another level. But again, that's more role player stuff as opposed to like, I I don't really care if he, you know, takes a step as far as like his handle or whatever. I I don't think the playmaking side of things is really going to come along for him at this point. Maybe I can be proven wrong. Certainly like guys have made jumps surprisingly in the past. But I think for him, like the way he is set up right now as a player, just ratcheting up that volume from deep, like he's a good 38% three-point shooter. He makes teams have to worry about it. Uh, I would be totally fine if he was taking 8-9 a game on the Raptors this coming season, no doubt. I know around the deadline, we heard Masai Ujiri was looking for three, like some reports said, four first-round picks for him. You heard teams like Memphis poking around. I'm sure the Knicks were poking around, and the price was just too high. In, In a world where... Whatever, whatever it takes to happen, Toronto does say like, hey, we're, we are just going to kind of do a reset here. We want guys um, purely on Scotty Barnes's timeline. Um, what is what is the kind of package Masai Ujiri is looking for, do you think? Well, first off, I think the reason that they're asking for such a high price is because they view OG on Scotty's timeline. He's 25, 26 years old. Like, right. uh, he's perfectly in his prime. He's going to fit with Scotty Barnes as Scotty Barnes grows into a player. And I think they're incentivized to want him on the team because, again, he fits really beautifully with Scotty Barnes, with Jakob Pertl, with the guys they have on the roster right now, um, you know, as far as their core pieces go. And so I'd be, you know, pretty surprised if he got moved for that reason when it comes to the price like you know there's all the memphis offered three first round picks like yeah probably like heavily protected ones i think is like what the the sounds are on those and like they want real picks they want real stuff back and i do think a really important part of an og trade now would be can you get some kind of shooting and real players in return you know it might not just be that they want picks they might actually want real players to pair with scotty barnes so you can help scotty barnes develop so you're not waiting for scotty barnes until all these teenagers who are not yet drafted come into the league and then can eventually join him down the line like he's already going into year three the the clock is on like scotty barnes is is leveling up here and at some point there will be, you know, you're going to want to have a real team around him. And so they're going to have to get some form of shooting back and real ready-to-play dudes in, in exchange for OG in addition to whatever picks come in. Like, you know, whatever the degree of pick package there is, you know, they're all, you know, you, there's no four-pick package that is the same as another four-pick package because all the picks are different and they come from different teams and have different protections and all of that. Um, but, like, I, I think if you could get, like, two reasonably sort of projectable players who could you could you can slot into your lineup right away and then like a couple of picks as well like I think you could be off to something there and starting the conversation but I as much as the Raptors seem to get clowned for uh not giving their their players away for crap uh you know like that's they're not going to do that like they're there's a reason they're being you know, stingy or stubborn with this is they have no obligation to trade OG. I'm sure they're convinced they can keep him as they have been convinced with their own free agents in the past. And I think they're incentivized to want to do it. So they're going to have to be blown away by whatever the offer is, no doubt.
And, and I think I've, I've kind of alluded to this without actually saying it. I think in the Knicks perfect world, and I think there's a lot of internet discourse about this specific transaction, the Knicks mm. would be trading RJ Barrett and stuff for OG Ananobi because yeah. that is just the cleanest one-for-one -one replacement on the roster. RJ's defense was much less of an issue in the playoffs than it was in the regular season. He offers you a lot more self-creation than OG Ananobi does, but obviously not like even on his best day ever, not in the same universe. If there's something bigger than a universe, not, not in the same that as OG is a defender. Um, the same can be said about them as three point shooters. And I, I think given the Knicks building around Jalen Brunson, the fact that Ju they're clearly in no rush at this point to trade Julius Randle. I think if they did move Julius Randle it would be to try to upgrade that spot and get someone who does a lot of what Julius Randle does and better. And I'm not sure if they think RJ Barrett could be that, like the the third slot on this team is built for someone who is OG like. Hmm. On the flip side, I don't think Toronto. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Sean. Despite him being one of Canada's favorite sons, as we've talked about in the past on this podcast, <laughs> um, I, I don't think RJ would be high on their interest list, given the desire to just pack shooting around Scotty Barnes. I think someone like Emmanuel quickly, someone like Quentin Grimes, and especially with Grimes plus a couple of picks would be much higher on that interest. Am, am, I, am I warm there? Or uh, is there a world where RJ is the centerpiece of an OG trade? I really don't see with RJ, man. Like, it just, the fit with Scotty Barnes doesn't make sense. The fit if Pascal Siakam is also on the team doesn't really make sense. Like, they need guard play. If they're going to be trading one of their forwards, they're not going to trade OG for a similar, less less fitting player who makes more money than OG does, right? And it's like, I know it's just for one more year that he makes more money, but still... Like, I think if you're trying to build a winning basketball team, you'd rather have OG and Anobi on your roster than RJ Barrett. I don't think that's, like, a crazy thing to say. No. And I, I just, I don't think the fit is there, despite the passport matching. Like, it, it drives me crazy that Raptors fans are like, get the, get the Canadian guy. It's like, well, no. Like, th that stop. Like, we don't have to do this. Like, it's, like it's a real professional franchise. This isn't, like, a Mickey Mouse thing. Um, but, yeah, I just, I don't see the fit there. Quickly in Grimes? Now you're talking, because, like, Quickly has long been one of my favorite potential targets for the Raptors to address their guard issues, and, like, I've gone to sleep thinking about Emmanuel Quickly on the Raptors the last week since Fred VanVleet walked, because he would be a perfect addition to what they got going on, a lovely fit next to Scotty Barnes, he brings the three-point shooting, he brings the defense, and he brings a little bit of off-ball play, because you want to have Scotty have some sort of role in how the offense is running, even if I don't think he's ready to be, like, the full-time, you know, ball handler on this team, <laughs> the way some people want him to be, and so, yeah, like, Quickly and Grimes, you start with that as an OG return. You get some shooting back in the door. You get to sort of replace that the shooting you're losing with OG. OG's probably a better overall player on a good team than either of those guys, and so it probably works for the Knicks as well. Clear out some of the clutter they have, maybe. Uh, you know, I could see that coming together, but I really don't see it with RJ Barrett. The fit just does not make any sense for the Raptors. I do want to ask you though. Yeah, you mentioned replacing Julius Randle with someone who does the stuff Julius Randle does a little bit better. Uh, is there any room for like a Pascal Siakam conversation here with the Knicks? Because that fascinates me as well. I don't think the Raptors would have an appetite to have Julius Randle on their team, but I, I do think if they could find a third team to take on Randle, I've been kicking around like Siakam to the Knicks scenarios in my head, just like fiddling around with the, with the trade machine. And I think Siakam and Brunson, like that's, that's a duo you can really go to work with. You know, Siakam's best, one of his best seasons came working with Kyle Lowry, who I feel like Jalen Brunson is maybe the closest approximation to Pete Kyle Lowry I've seen since Pete Kyle Lowry. 
And I, I think that could work really, really well. I, I know there's a, like a constant sort of Randall versus Siakam thing among power forward appreciators around the league. I think Pascal's a better, more well, you know, well-rounded and sort of better fitting player on that Knicks roster. Is that something that could possibly come together at all there? I don't think the Knicks would perceive Pascal as a substantial enough upgrade to, because mm. I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think like Toronto would expect, it, would, it would, obviously would not be a one for one, right? Like it would be Julian no, no, yeah, there would be for, stuff, yeah. for Pascal Siakam. And I think the Knicks would want to differentiate and, and I think someone like a Paul George playing a small ball four would mm. more so be the direction they go to truly open up their offense and elevate the ceiling of what they could do in the playoffs. Like, I, I don't personally see where Pascal, I think he's a better defender, I think, and I, I have to go over the numbers on this, probably a little bit more of a consistent three-point shooter than Julius, mm. even though Julius last year was really good in that respect and did it on exceptionally high volume. They're both good passers. Um, my, my again, uh, not based in merit so tell me if i'm wrong on this i think pascal is probably a slightly quicker decision maker than julius and that's maybe on yeah. top of the defense the most appealing part of the trade to me where julius gets his five assists but it's always very meticulous it is pound you pound you pound you wait for the double then kick it out so i do think there's a world where on the margins he is an upgrade but let, let me know about this sean like like come playoff time like do you see pascal like when he's the number two guy on the team because i know he was very good for the most part throughout that finals run like, mm-hmm. like, is he a guy who can win you games in the playoffs? Because with Julius, like, that is obviously the biggest lingering question with the major caveat that he played through a severe ankle injury last year. I think he's a better playoff player than Julius Randle is. Like, you know, he's had his moments. Obviously, the, the bubble, I think, was sort of like the biggest knock on Pascal's reputation. But I also think, like, if you think back to the bubble, yes, Pascal had a miserable time against the Celtics in that second round series. They also don't make to make it seven games in that series without Pascal absolutely demolishing the Celtics on the defensive end for seven games. He was incredible as the back line of defense in a very small Raptors lineup throughout that entire series. And that's the Pascal thing. He can stay on the floor when his offense isn't really working for him because he is a very good defender. He's a great team defender. He's a great backline help guy. Um, you know, he, he's had his moments and sort of wax and wane with his defensive effectiveness in the last couple of years, but I think that's because he's been carrying a massive offensive burden for a team that stinks at offense. And, and yeah, like, are you going to go and have Pascal be your number one option in the playoffs and have great success? Probably not. But he's also someone who has had his success translate to the playoffs before. We've seen it in the finals, in the playoffs, back when they won the championship. Uh, and we saw it even like last year when they went to the first round against the Sixers. You know, Pascal was incredible in that series. He had a couple bad games, as everyone does in a playoff series. But he also had a couple where he just completely carried the Raptors to victory. And I think he would be an excellent compliment next to Jalen Brunson. Brunson's have an issue with size and length. You can have Pascal run your offense credibly with quicker decision-making than you'd get with a Randall, uh, and you have that extra option for for how to run your offense. I think he'd be a really lovely fit there. Again, it's tough to see what comes together. You know, I guess in my head, I probably value Julius Randall much less than the Knicks would, and so I, I need to sort of bake that into my own assessment making up this fake trade. But I do think just like in a vacuum, Pascal's a better fit and a better playoff player than Julius Randle and I think would be just like such a dynamite addition next to Brunson considering the way he's paired with shooting first point guards in the past yeah I think it was it was really harmful 
to how the Knicks plan going forward that they didn't get to see a healthy Julius Randle in the playoffs because hmm. like the one 20 minute stretcher was healthy, which was the first half of game five <laughs> against the Cavs against small sample size. Like he was taking it to Evan Mobley. He was taking it to Jared Allen. And it's this frustrating thing where like, it felt like in some ways, like he had figured things out. Like he, he had stretches. Like, like I am one of the Julius Randle haters out there. Like I came into last time <laughs> thing. like, like they need to trade this guy, no matter what he is so utterly destructive to a culture to a team on and off the court. And he came back and he made me eat my words. Like like he was a deserving second team, all NBA guy last year. He was Mm. after the first 10 games of the year, he was awesome. 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 I want to finish on this. I I think what the trade would look like with OG, I don't think the Knicks would, maybe I'm wrong. I don't think they would give up Grimes and quickly. I Mm. think quickly though, they got to Vincenzo as quickly insurance so they could move him despite the fact that, those lineups had great numbers. I don't think there's an appetite for him and Brunson to start next to each other long-term. I think quickly rightfully wants to be a starter somewhere. Um, maybe this is, is sacrilegious to say to someone who's locked on Raptors. I think quickly could be um, an upgrade on Fred Van Vliet. I think he's as good of a defender. I think he's a better shooter. I, I think some of the efficiency concerns with Van Vliet could be there with quickly. Like the, the one knock on him is we've never seen him play substantial minutes as a starter for a full season. But when he got the chance last year, he was 21, five and five on pretty good efficiency, got separation in a way that I don't think Van Vliet can. I think mm-hmm. he would do really, really well in that offense. Um, but just because of the size differential between him and OG, even though quickly packs much more creative pop, like I think the Knicks would probably have to attach assets to quickly to move off him and get OG. But to me, if the trade were going to happen, that would be it. And then if there's another move for the Knicks to make, like you could question like, all right, does RJ fit then? Are you turning RJ into a six man? I think they would mm-hmm. do that with moving RJ in a separate trade in mind. But I do think OG is just such a good fit for the Knicks. And I don't know if quickly's long for the Knicks world to me, like if it went down, I think that would ultimately be kind of the basis of the deal. Yeah, I'm guessing they'd probably haggle over the inclusion of Grimes. Maybe it's like, oh, we'll throw in Deuce McBride or something like that instead. And yeah, the picks, I think, would be important. Like, what picks are coming in? What are the protections and all of that? But there's something there. Like, again, I don't think it's likely OG gets moved because I think they'd prefer to just have him be on this team. But if they're getting the sense that it's going to be hard to retain him or they end up extending Pascal and want to just kind of find a way to remove the forward glut despite the fit being so good with OG then maybe that's a way it opens up. But yeah, quickly would be like very high near the top of my list of potential targets with OG or with any trade, really. Like, I think they should be calling up and asking about quickly for like other stuff and picks. Like, I think they like quickly would be, I agree. Like, there's a chance he's an upgrade on Fred Van Vliet from day one. He's younger, you know, and I think would be a really nice fit with Scotty Barnes, you know, and kind of does some of the stuff that Fred struggled with when it comes to just like having that separation, having that wiggle, able ability to get to the rim, all of that. Um, I'd be all, all aboard the quickly train if that were uh, something that the Raptors could pull off, whether it's with OG or, or someone else. Look, it, w- it would make me nauseous to trade Emmanuel quickly. It would make you nauseous to trade OG Ananobi. <laughs> Maybe a sign that it's a good deal. But Sean, uh, can you let everyone know uh, one final time where they can find all your great work? Yeah, man. Locked on Raptors uh, every day. You know the deal. Uh, as, as a locked on listener, you know what it's all about. I'm on Twitter at Woodley Sean. I'm not really using Twitter anymore outside of like one or two posts a week at this point because why would you? Uh, but that's right. The show's on Instagram, all that stuff as well. All right. Thank you so much, Sean Woodley. Uh, we'll see if it happens. Uh, maybe not soon, but maybe sometime this year. Um, until then, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with you five days a week on Locked on Knicks. <laughs>